The following is brought to you by Total Seal Piston Rings, the leader in ring seal technology. TotalSeal.com Hello and welcome to another edition of Hidden Horsepower, presented by Total Seal. My name is Joe Costello, and we have got another great episode for you. If you're a first-time listener, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, however you happen to be listening to this episode, wherever you are around the world, we ask you to subscribe and write us a review. Be sure to listen on a weekly basis or however you can listen to the show because we have got some great guests. But one of my favorite is my co-host. He is the Director of Technical Sales at Total Seal Piston Rings. Mr. Keith Jones is back. Keith, welcome back. How are you? I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for the introduction. I appreciate it. Uh, how would you say it's been a while since I've seen you? How are you doing today, my friend? I am great. I am excellent. I'm not melting like you are out there in Arizona, but that's okay. Uh, just super excited to be back doing another episode. And this one, we are going to go, I think, as far as we can possibly go from where I am, located in South Florida, southeastern Florida. Our guest is going to be from Queensland, Australia, Ken McNamara from KRE. In Australia, Ken's Racing Engines, and I'm just super excited about this. I know you are as well. Oh, I am. It's uh, you know, Ken and I have been working together for quite some time now, and he, he's extremely knowledgeable guy, a great guy on top of it, and you know, been in quite a time. You know, I've wanted to get him on here. You know, to get a we'll say a down under perspective. Uh, you know, bring his name out to people that may not know him. Uh, he, he's a he's a gentleman and a scholar, as I like to say. He's he's a he's a great guy and uh, a wonderful you know wonderful engine builder. So we, before we bring Ken on the show, let's just talk a little bit about the scene down there and like what you know about it and what I know about it, and then Ken will like confirm or deny some of the things uh, we may say. And I can just say that through my WFO radio podcast and my NHRA experience, that they are. Uh, nearly as car crazy as we are. They love cars going fast, racing of all kinds, including sprint cars, drag racing. But the most Australian style of racing that I know of, I love those V8 supercars. The first time I saw them, I was like, this is what NASCAR could be. And sure enough, here years later, NASCAR is becoming closer and closer to what the V8 supercar series is. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It, it's... I've been very fortunate to go there a couple of times. I've been to V8 supercar races. Absolutely exciting. Uh, As you stated, it's what NASCAR could have been, should have been, and it looks like maybe they're going to do more and more of that. Uh, These cars do like to turn both directions. Uh, It it is amazing racing, and these guys are, you know, just – they're not afraid to you know to tear up some sheet metal and swap some paint. Uh, I love watching it. Yeah, that's an understatement. These guys crush each other out there, which is uh, awesome and fun. And let's bring him into the show from KRE Racing Engines Australia, Mister Ken McNamara. Ken, welcome to Hidden Horsepower. How are you? You good, thanks, Joe. Thanks, thanks for your time. Thanks, Keith. Hey, um, yeah, glad to glad to be on the on the podcast. Well, we are thrilled and truly now, truly international hidden horsepower goes beyond the borders of the united states of america and i just i love our internet it's amazing that we can be having this real-time conversation so what about what we said about racing down under ken uh anything you want to add i know you guys have drag racing you have sprint cars but for me the v8 supercars stick out because it's like full body sports car racing with heavy contact yeah like you said look the nascar stuff you know, is the is the I guess the um, big commercial sport in in America where and we've all looked up to that for many years. And then Australia, yeah, back in the mid '90s, they used to be called the Australian Touring Car Championship. And then a uh, the sport changed. I think it was '97 maybe. And then they, I, a, um, a person took it over Tony Cochran, and they they turned the system into a franchise system and and. All the team owners got a franchise that were in it, and some new ones come along, and it's it sort of shot up in through those you know before the GFC and from 2000 to 2008, it, it went leaps and bounds with all the governments and street tracks, and it turned into a multi multi million dollar sport. And he you know, he was a promoter and 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 did a very good job with it. And then they they sold it off, and the, the, I think the competitors own I think 30 odd percent of the of the sport. But um, yeah, it's been through its ups and downs with the 
obviously GFC and COVID and some other bits and pieces. But uh, yes, yeah, very good sport, very big following here in Australia. You know, for live TV coverage, each event. So um, yeah, it's a it's a good uh, good business model. Very cool, very cool. Speaking of that, tell us a little bit about your business. Uh, we know you're in Queensland. For us, please explain where exactly that is on the continent. And, yeah. uh, you know, it is uh, it is what it is. But also, what is your primary business? Yeah, so we're up in the, the northern part of Australia, up in up in um, the warmer climate, a bit like Florida, where it's, you know, humid and warm. And like now, today is the middle of winter, and I'm looking outside, blue skies, and it'll be 23 degrees Celsius today. That's our winter. So uh, a little bit warm here in summer. Yeah, it gets into the 38s, 40s, a bit humid. But... Um, so yeah, very good weather. Um, yeah, I started off uh, our business back in 1995, yeah, 1996, I think, around 95, building car engines and a little bit of speedway stuff. I Through the 80s, I, I sort of, I guess, cut my teeth drag racing. We used to run a top alcohol dragster with um, Jamie Noonan, who does all the billet stuff over in America there. The, um, Pro mod stuff, you know, he, he worked with his dad and him on his dragster. And then we, we used to come across to the drags and in the late 80s, you know, do the NHRA stuff. And back in the days before there was no mobile phones and internet. So it was always a, a big trip going to America <laughs> compared to what we had back here. But uh, so, yeah, did drag racing and then sort of speedway. And then I think it was 1998 I got into um, the supercars and then I guess grew with the sport and then uh, worked for the team's contract and then started full-time here in 19, uh, I think it was, must have been around 2009, I think I went back full-time. We had the KRE um, still going, doing speedway stuff, and then I took it back, got a building, put some dinos in, and then went back doing it full-time. I love hearing that drag racing is in your background, and yes, the Noonan power is just, it's one of the big ones out there, doing so well in the top alcohol ranks and pro-modified, and to hear that you're connected in some way, it's like, that makes sense. Keith, how many times have we heard, you know, origin stories that are rooted in drag racing, where the initial goal is to just make as much power as possible? Absolutely. I, you know, I'm going to piss a lot of people off with saying this, but hey, the best builders I always, are that I always meet always come from a drag race route. Uh, it, it's funny. I mean, Ken, he hasn't mentioned this yet, but you know, he's he's you know he's got drag racing in his soul, but he built an incredible sprint car engine as well. And y'all you know, go to like you know here in the states, Charlie Garrett, Garrett Racing. Has, Charlie's a drag racer. He builds sprint car engines, but he's a drag racer. And, and you know Al Parker, Parker Racing Engine, another big sprint car builder. Al's a drag racer. Are we seeing a you know, a, you know a consistency here? Uh, so yeah, I like to say, hey, the best guys all come out of the drags. <laughs> Why is that, Ken? Um, I think, like, doing the drag racing stuff, I guess, is so much engine-orientated. You know, with the blown stuff, you got the clutch and all the other bits and pieces. But um, I think you just focus more on the engine, where road racing guys is, you know, car setup and aero and all these things. And um, and I just found it's just passionate. You know, when we drag raced in the 80s, I, mean, I used to go, I think my first trip to the U.S. was 1988. And then I went over, we did Pomona and... and um, I think it was Firebird Race Radio at Phoenix and, and did it those races. It was fantastic. You know, next trip I went to Reading, Pennsylvania, and and one trip there actually through through John Noonan and um, he knew Gary Densham and I stayed at Gary's place here in California for a week or so. And um, yeah, it was really good. You know, just to, those people to take in the house and and you know, you know look and work on the on the Nitro Funny Car and all that. And it was a it was a good deal. It was I remember it was at Gary's place one day and I think it was John Force's fiftieth birthday and. They had him at a deal there and you know his daughters come in and that and it's funny to see him away from the racetrack he's just a normal person quiet no you know a whole different sort of perspective but for us guys here we, we'd be racing top fuel cars there'd be six or seven cars you know at a meeting and you go to you know Pomona and there'd be 30 cars it was just mind-blowing at a you know an 18 19 year old to go to America and watch that racing and 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 you look at all the guys the old guys Glidden you know Warren Johnson all those guys in pro stock and and even the old, you know, I know when we used to race, you know, alcohol, you had Sid Waterman and all those guys, they're all innovators. Like they all come up with something and, you know, uh, Maskins, all those guys with moving stuff in cylinder heads. And you see that these days, but it's all done on CAD and CNC and 
they've got very good materials and, and, and equipment to make it. And we end up with, you know, like, like Jamie builds now, you know, fantastic um, components and engines. But I think back in those days when you had to get a crankshaft and cut it up and weld a different flange on it to make a different stroke and all those things and, you know, furnace brazing bores and doing all these things, I, I think those guys really set the, the other pioneers of the sport in, in the drag racing, which all unfolded across into, you know, NASCAR and other forms of motorsport that, you know, really there was a, a, a passion with their design and how they come up with those things with, with the machinery that they had. Amazing to think about. And uh, I love hearing your perspective. And just to share, normally we don't like to time stamp the, uh, the shows, but in this case, it's appropriate. We just finished uh, racing in Pomona, coming back from our rescheduled Winter Nationals. And, you know, Stephen Densham driving a nitro funny car owned by Gary Densham. All the names that you're throwing out there, for the most part, still relevant, still in the sport. John Force was involved in an altercation on the top end of the racetrack. Just great stuff to hear your perspective of back then. Yeah, yeah. It just it brings back those memories. And I think, you know, going over there in those days, we've said no phones, no internet, you know, I remember going to Keith Black Racing Engines, then you go to Littlefield and you go to here and, you know, Crower and all. You look back at all those things, you think, oh, you built, not not so much the relationship because I was only young back then, but you saw those things, you come back in awe and go, you know, oh, geez, you know, I'd like to do that. And I think that's where I started my business was I sort of did that. And Jamie was, you know, he was only a little teenager and he was working with me at home building engines. And we worked on that dragster for 10 plus years. We had the national record there for um, for one point, but you know the guys that we raced against, Gary Phillips and Stephen Reed, out there they're always quicker. Just they've been doing it for a long time. But it, we cut our teeth, I guess, doing that. And then and then Jamie came to work with me in the supercars, and then he, a few years later, he he started CNC and stuff, and then obviously got back into a full time business and then moved back to America. But yeah, he's done a fantastic job with him and Renee with that business. And um, yeah, and I stayed here just doing that and got into the speedway stuff and. Like he said before, you know, I've I've met Charlie Garrett and and talked to Al Parker. I mean, look look up to those guys, you know, Ron Shaver. I mean, all the stuff he's done back in the day. I, I remember looking at magazines back in the '90s, and oh, you know, you look at Ron's engine room, and oh, I want to be like that. And you know, I talk to Ron fairly regularly, and you know, good relationship with him. And yeah, he's a really good guy. He's always helpful if you want to ask questions. And yeah, I just find if you can build a relationship with people, and as they have done with Keith for probably 20 plus years, you can have a conversation, go out for dinner, and you know, you're buying the components because they, they, they build the best best around. So I think a lot of it is if you can build those relationships and, and I think especially in the, in the 80s and 90s, so many of those people have done well. It was good. Keith, was that you with the Imperial March as I, your ring? Yeah, sorry about that. Uh, I did not have my cell phone on on mute and I just looked down and it's Pat Musi. I'll have to call him back. Okay, so why does Pat Musi get the Imperial March Darth Vader ringtone? <laughs> Does everybody does everybody get well, that well, ringtone or just Pat? No, not, not not everybody gets that one. That, oh that's the hurry up and answer the phone. It's Pat. Okay. <laughs> I got it. That's good. Hey, a little scoop here on hidden horsepower, folks. All right, Keith. Question <laughs> question for Ken. Let's dive in. Oh, yeah, sorry about that. That was me. Now, one one of the things that you know, we, I just this is a statement more than that, but a comment. You know, it's like, hey, you know, why do the guys, you know, the drag race guys work so hard at this? Because there's no second chances in drag racing. Yeah, exactly. But, but what you know? What are the challenges you see, Ken? I mean, you know, like I say, looking at the supercar versus sprint car, you know, the different engine platforms that you deal with, uh, you know, from a, you know, a, obviously we're ring centric here, but the challenges that you have to face dealing with, you know, like a supercar engine versus a, you know, a sprint car engine, you know, you've got so much more heat to deal with, you know, the time level that it's got to run. Uh, what you know? What do you pay attention to? Uh, you know, differences between those two types of engines. I think with the the sprint car is is you know I guess well proven yeah the rings obviously got narrow and less tension different materials but being on the on the alcohol and and the um yeah they're a lot more power and, and RPM and compression ratio but they still seem to work you know quite well if they're set properly and you know we don't run engines completely on you'd say on kill like here because we're not racing on big tracks like Knoxville or Eldora where you know everything's our tracks are half that size so we, we've got a little bit more flexibility with making a bit less power but the the supercar the biggest problem is excuse you know when last year we had all these problems with heat and stuff where yeah you know, we changed the coating on the ring and a few other bits and pieces and, and ran into all sorts of dramas with um you know they, they moved the under tray on the cars and we we ended up with a 
massive um, heat, um, what's the word, um, um, pockets under the bonnet where you, 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 the air couldn't get out from under the bonnet. We started melting coils and wiring and sensors and had issues with rings and, and um, yeah, a few changes here and there and a lot of that went away and it was just one change that caused it. But I think it shows with, with the supercar, you got to, you know, they want us to do four, you know, 4,000 Ks minimum, which is you know, about a third of the season. Um, and yeah, you know, 7,500 RPM you know, running on E85, but, and the engine, they don't want to lose three horsepower. They want to keep the, uh, you know, the degradation as, as minimal as possible. So having the ring, with the you know the diamond lap finish, you know, you analyze ring groove, all those all those deals is yes we've got to be they we've got an accumulative number which is a maximum power limit that supercars put on us that they look we've got two engines there at the moment being checked they um make sure that you don't go over the number um there's like a 30 page document of every part inside the engine we have to give them the um like CAD drawing of our manifolds ports seat angles valve springs everything's documented and they have sample parts so when they check the engine must comply with the homologated parts so so yes with the ring and ring it's in such an environment that yes it's not turning big rpm or or um or seeing high compression ratios but seeing massive amounts of heat for like Bathurst is six hours non-stop you know a lot of our races are three four hours non-stop so you know the poor old engines doing it quite tough and and with that airflow being reduced under the bonnet yeah it created dramas you wouldn't even thought could happen just to you know, throw in there, yeah, Ken and I had many, many conversations on the phone. Just, you know, they started having, you know, heat-related issues, and we're looking at the parts. And, you know, as he just stated, that one, what one would think of as a simple change, how dramatic the underhood temperatures went. You know, and for those of you under, that don't know what a bonnet is, uh, that's a hood here in America. Uh, so uh, how dramatically it increased the underhood temperatures and how it affected. You, know, you wouldn't think, you know, oh, you raise the underhood temperature, okay, maybe it melted a coil or, you know, it, you know, it hurt some of the wiring. This, the heat saturation was so severe, it was actually affecting the rings inside the engine. Yeah. Yeah, it was... It was a tough deal, and, and at the time, you don't know. You think, oh, it's like any effect. You think, oh, we'll change that for the era of the car. And then all all the GM teams had the same issues, different brand of coils and that. But we went from, like, the coils, you had 10 years of no issue to failing 14 sets of coils in one season. So you start going, well, they're just cracking, and then odd sensor problems, and then power steering issues, and... Yeah, it's just lots of little details that popped into big ones. Um, they were probably underlying problems that were just surviving. And, and so we, we did a test towards the end of the season, had a tyre test and put some pyros under the bonnet with supercars. And I think from memory, like it was 100 and, about 102 Celsius at the at the valve cover when the engine was turned off after it pulled up. Air temp and then, sorry, no, when it was running and then at um, when it pulled up to, to change the tyres, it jumped up to 140 degrees. So, yeah, that's a lot of... Yeah, the water temp was still fine, all that, but that was it was a warm day. It was in in November, but yeah, it just shows you that it, that that answered the question why things were failing. That they just were seeing so much temperature that just there's no airflow there, and all sorts of things were going wrong. That that's an amazing amount of heat, like you say, and, and and things that you don't have to deal with with open cockpit cars like sprint cars, things like that. That. You know the, the the supercar environment is is extru- you know again as me as an outside observer just you know such a, a, a difficult environment to deal with the you know the amount of time that they run the cars the length of time they have to get out of the engines uh, it's it's you know it's a pretty severe event you know it's a pretty severe environment and uh, you know lucky to be able to work with you know guys like yourself to get the feedback back on the parts and you know help us try to improve that part you know it, it's. You know, you hate to you hate to ever have a part that fails, but we learn from that failure. We take it back, look at it, examine it, see what happened. What can we do to make that part even you know more robust and help to avoid those situations? No, exactly, and that's and that's a good thing with someone like yourself, Keith. That you know, it's it's fantastic that you, when you can work with someone like that and, and right, wrong, and different, and come up with a with a fix. Is too many people this day and as soon as there's a problem, oh, who's paying? You know, what's this? What's that? We, I'm not fixing it unless I'm. You just got to get in like 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 it was back in the 80s and the 90s. Just get it done um, and deal with it. Where now everyone's more worried about oh this and that, and it's like with supercars. Yeah, it's all big dollar sponsorship cars. You know, two and three, four million dollars, and and you you don't want to see them stop or have any dramas. But you'll have years where you'll have not one 
one engine drama out of it for the 12 cars we do that they'll do all all the races um and not not one failure so then other years you'll have a couple of things pop up and that's like nascar you know you you do what you can back at the shop you know we've got a fantastic bunch of guys here 14 of them and they um a lot of guys here been here plus 10 years and that and, and they they know the engines inside out the sprint cars and the supercars and and they they know exactly what needs as soon as something you know, there's a wear mark or something's different or we see something different on the dyno you know the guys are onto it looking for an, a solution because they they know the engines and i think that's the thing if you because we predominantly do those two type of engines we we i guess we get better at it where we don't do about a lot of drag racing these days like i used to do and you know boat racing and stuff we, we cut back a lot of that because you can't go to all the tracks you know we we send the guys to the sprint cars and guys to the to the um supercar races well they're all on similar weekends so you sort of have to cut back some of the other forms of motorsport just to concentrate on the one so you can actually send people to the racetrack to to deal with the the um you know the, the customers very interesting uh i've got a thousand questions based on that little 10 second conversation you guys just had i want it's a it, well it is uh, i want to catch everybody up of course because i know who our audience is 100 uh, degrees celsius guys is 212 degrees fahrenheit so just take it from there it was hot under the bonnet definitely uh ken i would love for you to just list some of the teams that you work with and some of the drivers that drive for those teams so that are slightly less hardcore and intense listeners out there have got a concept of who you're building engines for yeah so in the sport there's 24 cars in the franchise system and we we do half the field 12 um all gm cars um triple eight which is um ampole red bull ampole racing they um We've been doing their stuff for 18 years now. Um, very good team to work for. They, I think they've either been first or second in the championship for the, the last decade or so. So they're always very competitive. And from there, they've sold cars to other teams. Um, and they all run two-car teams, team 18. They're DeWalt and Irwin sponsored cars over here. And then um, got Team Sydney, which is two cars. Brad Jones Racing, he runs four cars. Matt Stone Racing. Um, so they all um, keep us quite busy in the um, in that side of it, and yeah, I guess it just start off with working with the one team, and and because they're I guess a, an engineering business, they build cars and sell them. Well, then those engines come back to us, and we look after them. Well, they're all the same, like they're all the same spec. They're all um, there's been a couple of slight manifold changes, but um, they all have to run that ESD, which is the engine specification document for supercars. So they're all the same, and then. Um, we just do our 4,000 kilometres on them. Sometimes they might be out early if they've had a crash or something or there's a parts issue, but we've had a couple just come out recently with over 5,000 kilometres on them. So, yeah, we, we sort of, I guess, just build that relationship. You know, we used to run forward from, I think, 2003 to 2010, then we switched to GM and been GM ever since. And, um, yeah, we've got a good relationship with the guys at GM, Russell Bleens and those guys over there. We've been talking to them recently on the new Gen 3 engine, but... Um, yeah, it's been a good, good, um, a good time working with those teams. And you mentioned a couple of things that I think are frightening to our American listeners: uh, spec, like a spec engine, and it yeah. sounds like the uh, rules uh, situation is very strict. You're on an E85. That sounds frightening to a lot of people. Uh, also, uh, that every part is absolutely has to be sent in, and that everything. Did you say there was a horse a maximum? horsepower restriction that you a ceiling almost that you have to butt up to like all of these things are i think shocking to maybe some of our fans uh namely me yes yeah and it was a even for us it's hard like for for years we could sort of do what we wanted to with the engines especially through you know i guess 2000 to 2008 where a bit like nascar there was always new stuff coming out of formula one and all different people and people like keith oh there's a new ring and there's this and new coatings and the things accelerated so quickly through that time with all the coatings on valves and it's just it was a good time and then yeah gfc hit and then people tightened up and then supercars slowed a little bit and i think you had to stop the war where everyone was just spending money on engines um when what i think six seven years ago supercar said right they grabbed everybody's engines dyno them all i think there was us at that time the volvo had come into the sport and we were the highest those two cars were the highest power number so they set that in stone as a cumulative cumulative number so they they look at a curve from 
think it's 45 or 4,800 to 7,400. So you got to fit within that number. Um, and then the rest of the teams are allowed to catch up to that number. And then, then they stay like even last year, they changed the rule on rocker ratio and, um, just to try and save some more money with the, with the ring thing, and that's we, we run into those issues. But we we lost a little bit extra power than some of the other teams just because our cylinder heads are different. So then they had a slight rocker ratio changes recently. It was only four horsepower or something, but it's more to keep everybody in order on paper. And then there's no one out there that's that's like the old days that's got 20 more horsepower because they've done a good job with the engine. Everyone would be within two or three, four horsepower now. So not measurable at say we're at 630 odd horsepower so um not really measurable on the racetrack but it keeps the cost in order unfortunately yeah you don't have that job satisfaction of of doing new port or a, a new inlet manifold look all the stuff on our engines all custom made build it intake it's all done in-house with triple eight um on their cncs and and the whole engine billet sumps you know bill daly makes all, all pumps for us and we make a sump that bolts into the chassis and so they're quite a nice little engine, but they're expensive. You know, they're, if you had to build a new one, they're 160 odd grand. So the, they want to go to a new engine um, for the next car, which will be, you know, GM will be a GM LS based engine and the Ford will be a Ford Coyote. They'll, the engines will be half the price of that, um, but they'll probably do the same or more mileage. That's the plan. And But to bring the cost down, is like any motorsport now. Formula One's going through the salary cap. You know, NASCAR being cut, making their motors do more races. Everybody's got a... I guess get better value for their money because there's just not those sponsorship dollars now that like there was ten years ago. Right. Does that system work? As someone who's living it, and we're you know we hear it kicked around. And Keith, how many times on this show have we bantered about about this exact subject? Right. Like rules to decrease cost. Do they work or do they not work? And Ken is living that. Ken, do they work? Yes. Yeah. We as as I said. You, the, the engine builder or the team that, that used to do their own engines like we're, we're the only engine shop that's not a team the rest the other engine builders are part of the team so um it definitely saves money and and i think you you have to move with the climate you know it's no use having four teams that have the money and then can only race each other and then there's no sport so then there's no work for anybody so as much as we like the old days where you could do what you want and and um try what you want and I just think with the ever-changing climate, and as obviously electric cars are coming, so that's that's the next next issue we've all got. Especially at the at the um, what's the word the um, the high level of motorsport, where you know sponsorship dollars from big corporations and and, and some of these events are government funded. You know the the street circuits. You can't be out there with black smoke billowing out of them and being bad for the environment and not not being green because it's against what everybody's trying to do at the moment. But you go run a top fuel dragster or a sprint car or a tractor puller, you know, that's a little bit different, I think, because it's usually that someone's usually spend their own money or they still have sponsorship, but they're not at that big commercial level, say like NASCAR or Formula One or supercar, where you've got a lot of government bodies you have to deal with and you've got to be seen to doing the right thing. But yeah, I, th I think initially, no, it was difficult, but I think as you see time, it definitely works. The teams, like we've saved them, the teams already, you know, over the last 10 years, you know, 100, 150,000 a year in engines per team. So and next year, that'll be that again. So for us, the engine builders, yes, it's less money and and, and money coming in and, and probably a bit less job satisfaction. But, you know, for lucky business like us, we, we can do that. But then we can still do our sprint cars and a few other off-road trophy trucks and that and get our satisfaction of doing whatever we want to those engines. But as for the, the big racing, I think they're all, you know, in Formula 1, you only got whatever it is, three or engine changes for the year, whatever they have for you. Know, yeah, everyone's clamping down that you've got to make everything last to, to bring the cost back in order. Yeah, I, I would just a comment there, you know, for Ken was just, it, it's a balancing act. Like you say, when you've got your own race car that is funded out of your pocket and you're, you know, you're beholding to no one, uh, you, you build it, you test it, you do all the development. But, you know, in a case like the supercar, like you say, there's a lot of, there's a lot of factors and a lot of outside forces involved that, you know, not everybody's aware of. Uh, all the people that have to have that box checked off 
Uh, so it makes it very difficult for a guy like Ken uh, to try to develop this and try to push this. And, and that's kind of where I'm going with the, you know, with the question is, you know, what areas in that engine, you know, working in the rules do you still see can be developed? You know, is it, are you working on cylinder head? You know, where do you find, you know, where do you find the next thing even in that engine? Because even as the next engine platform comes down the line, you're an engine guy. I don't care how hard they try to tie your hands. They're not going to do it. I know you, Kenny. <laughs> so where, where are you going to work at? What are you going to look at? I mean, with the next engine, I mean, it's, it's a really difficult and unusual thing, you know, talking with, um, you know, Steve Byrne here and Russ, Russ O'Bleans and GM in, in the US, and with supercars, you, you're trying to build an engine for a for a price. So, okay, we need this, we need that. Okay, we, we're going to run a stock block. We'll try this. We'll try an aftermarket block. We'll try to build it for a, for a um, you know, $60,000, $70,000 price tag. So you look at, oh, okay, I can't run Carrillo rods anymore because I've got a, I, I've got a budget. I've got, I've got to put a better block, or I need a, I need a titanium valve in it because we've still got to turn 7500. Or can I make the stainless valve work where previously you'd build an engine? Well, I need, you know, sprint car, I'm getting all pro head. I'm getting, a, I'm getting a, you know, rings off Keith. We're getting the good rings. We're doing all the stuff now. We're going, oh, what? It's a weird thing to to build an engine to a budget and say, well. I'm going to have to change the component because I can't afford that high-end part anymore. Um, like we, yeah, all that stuff now is all Brian crankshafts, all, all good, you know, good bill of pistons from Bill Miller and all that. Where that all has to change, not because you can't. There's any wrong with the part. We have to say, like, well, the motor's got to come into this target. Where can I skimp or, or thing that I go? I can get away with a cheaper connecting rod because we we'll put a heavier one in it because now. And also working with the guys here in the Ford Ford team at um, at Dick Johnson Racing, where we've got to still be competitive, but at the same time the engine's got to make the same power. So we we go back to supercars, dyno, right? Yeah, okay. Within you know, there's already obviously an overhead cam engine, so we've got quite a big difference from our pushrod engine. But you go right, okay, we then okay, well, you try this, we'll we'll do a little bit of this, and so when the new engine will come, it'll be built to a, a power number because the new car is going to have a whole lot less downforce. So it's going to be quicker in a straight line. So we'll probably have to lose a bit more power to, to make sure they don't go over 300 kilometers an hour. Um, and yeah, so it's a really weird deal to sort of, you go, you, you've got your wish list and go, oh, geez, well, can I save 500 bucks here if I do it this way? And yeah, which is how I guess normal business runs. It just doesn't normally work in motor racing. We just want to buy the best stuff to go fast. But so that's been a bit tricky. Um, and I guess once the engine's specced out and, and, and we've tested everything, and that, that then that engine's homologated, all the GM teams will get exactly the same engine and all the four teams will have exactly the same engine. So no one will have it. And then supercars will check them regularly to make sure that there's no one's de degradating more than the other. But we, you know, we're going to a single throttle body, so that's going to be different to the custom eight-stack manifolds we have now. So the throttle response will be different, you know, the drivability, all those things that, but we got we go from a $20,000 intake to a $2,500 intake manifold. So, and it takes, four hours less to, to build the engine because you, you're not having to set all the butterflies and crossovers. And so to, all that labor comes back that the teams to get that, you know, hundred plus grand a year saving on the, on their budget for their engines. This, that's the only way to do it. So, yeah, you know, I see the big picture and def definitely it will work. Um, but as, as for the, for the, you know, the engine builder wants to try and make an engine different to the next guy, it's a, it's a, yeah, it's a definitely a different way of thinking on, on how to build an engine. Well I, well, I look forward to being able to help you with that challenge, Ken, because you know, like you say, there's going to be a lot of challenges and, you know, a lot of opportunities to test a whole lot of different parts. Uh, you had mentioned the Ford being on the coyote platform and uh, interesting. I don't know if you've seen, you know, the, the new 7.3 liter Ford uh, pushrod engine, which, you know, I, I haven't personally had my hands on one, but, you know, I've seen all the drawings and, you know, pretty spectacular looking piece. Uh, so, you know, surprising, you know, maybe it's just too new uh, that Ford didn't go down the, you know, down that, you know, rabbit hole and, you know, use that as a platform for the, you know, for the new engine. I think so. Yeah, it's new. And I think the Coyote has been proven. I mean, you know, we're, we're on LS3 based engine. So, um, you know, that's proven in some areas, but not, not so much in this type of road racing. Um, you know, the plan is to, that supercars are looking at going to a panel shift type transmission to, to keep the RPM down. Like you know, a couple of rounds ago, we had a couple of guys who had a couple of downshifts at 10,000 RPM because they couldn't stop the car. And 
you know, we see 93, 9400 regularly. Well, that's that's the stuff where you you know you just break stuff. So having the, the transmission lockout means they can't the engine can't be over revved and they're looking at the blanking so they can't blank the cars up too much to keep the water temperature down. So it's all the things that yes, you want to <coughs> be like Carrera Cup. You know, you got all the same car, go out and race it and do your thing. Supercars will be similar to that, but they'll still have you know GM and Ford. Two different cars, same same chassis, but different bodywork. Um, the aero will be paratized, the engines will be paratized, and and I think it's a good thing. It's just, yeah, it just has to 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 bring the budgets out there. And if you keep spending, then no one's got no one has a job. So it's it's you've just got to adjust with the times. But as I said, lucky for us, we still have the the speedway stuff and a few other little projects that gives you that um, that uh, you know, job satisfaction where you can modify do or whatever you want and there's no rule other long as the motor's 410 or that motor's six liter or whatever the rest is free so so i think that's that that still works well for, for all the guys in the shop here where they still get to do some some cool stuff and not you're not just building that same engine over and over the, i was going to bring that up the, the sprint cars now 410 sprint cars that is still a wide open scenario where you guys can do what you got to do to get the job done uh what about e85 are you running them on e85 or are they uh like what we would call you know regular racing fuel no they're, they're the same as, as as you guys in the us we're all on, on on methanol alcohol um so yeah they're pretty free and i think that's where that's such a fantastic class is you know the car's got a weight rule and the engine's 410 you know do what you want so over here like I, said, <laughs> I love that yeah, it's good yeah. just, just 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 if you're not fast enough you go home but i suppose for us we're lucky like i said earlier we don't have those big tracks so we've got a, we don't we can back the engines down a little bit on compression and rpm and stuff that where the guys that race at knoxville and eldora you know you in las vegas the big tracks you've got to have every bit of power you can make and you know you look at engine builders in America, you know, like I said, like you said before, with Charlie Garrett and and um, and, um, oh, and you know Paul Kissler and Tommy Ryder and, and Ron Shaver and all those guys, Al Parker, they all build good engines over there, and and they're all competitive at those at those big tracks. You know, for us, we 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 don't specialise in any of that stuff. We we build the engines a little bit different here because drivability, where we run the whole deal, and the customers want to get 20 races out of their engine here in Australia. A lot of the time, 25 races. So you can't run that light of con rod, or you know, you might have to be on a on a yeah 580 gram rod instead of a 530. Or, or the pistons got to be that. Your crankshafts can't be 22 pounds. Got to be heavier. So you've got to build it. They want to get they want to get six seven years out of a crankshaft over here because without dollar being at 73 cents, you know, a 66 US thousand dollar you know engine is, is 90 or a hundred thousand dollars here when it's landed here so you've got to be conscious a bit like the supercar thing where right i've got to do i make the engine to make 930 horsepower but the guy's got to bring them back in 12 nights for a rebuild the bits are you know titanium valves are you know nearly two grand here for a set of intake valves well that's a big difference to over there so you've got to really but you know balance that act like you said earlier that we want to be fast, but it's no use having an engine if you're not no quicker than the guy who's got 600, sorry, 880 horsepower, and you've got 920. It's you've got to win a lot of races to justify the extra engine rebuilds for the year. Um, where play, those big tracks in America, you need every bit of motor you've got because it's a, it's very competitive. This is so interesting to me. A great episode of Hidden Horsepower, and I just love like the the comparing and contrasting. What's going on based on the rules, based on the tracks, based on the part of the world? Ken, I want to let you know in advance that we always ask our guest to give advice to the next generation. We're winding down on this episode of Hidden Horsepower. Keith, while he thinks about that, hit him with a couple of uh, uh, additional questions that you might have on your mind as we come down the stretch on this episode. Well, well I'll, I'll ask the easy one right up front. You coming to, you coming to Indy this year for PRI, Ken? No. Nah. <laughs> No, nah, I got to do it. Oh. With yeah. the restrictions, like with now, because Australia is still locked out of the rest of the world, that if we leave and we come, and, and it's actually difficult now because we have to get permission from the government to leave leave the country. You've got to have a good reason. But when we come back to Australia, we've got to go into hotel quarantine for two weeks and we can't even leave the room. So too much time off work. And then, yeah, I don't know if I'd be stuck in a motel room with no windows that open for two weeks. <laughs> well, that, that's certainly no fun. 
And, and as far as engines go, Ken, I mean, I know you, know, you and I have worked on so many different projects together over the years. Is there, is there one that you haven't done yet that you'd love to sink your teeth into? Um, no, I mean, I think all the V8 stuff that I, I predominantly prefer V8 engines and doing any four-cylinder stuff, and that's just what I guess grew up on. But um, no, I mean, I'd like to, if, if I had the time and the money, I'd like to get back into running top alcohol or something. But but you know, I'm no I'm, I'm no race car driver. But you know, my son he, he drives a sprint car now, and we sort of do that. You know, quite competitive. We try not to crash into the customers, but um, but no, it's that, that side of it's okay. And it's just it's that allows me to still go to the racetrack and be there with the customers. Now we have a truck with our own stuff. I can carry parts for the customer stuff, so that sort of works hand in hand. But no, I think I think we've all I've done. I think I'm pretty happy with what we've done, and and um, yeah, just still enjoy what I do. Well, you've accomplished a lot down there. Your, your, your name is second to none. And, uh, you know, didn't know if he was like, hey, I haven't messed with a nitro engine much yet. I think I've got something for those guys. But uh, like you say, uh, you know, love, you know, love the candor of everything you've, you've told us. So, you know, and it's excellent. And for those, I just want to throw this in. For those of you that aren't, you know, well-versed in V8 supercar, uh, Ken had mentioned it earlier, Bathurst, the mountain, uh, this is a race like no other you'll see on television or, you know, I would love to see it in person. It's kind of a bucket list thing for me. Uh, six hours of absolute brutality, you know, blind off camber corners. I mean, it, it's again, not trying to, you know, you know, pimp the show, but uh, if you haven't watched it, folks, you know, set your DVRs, uh, Bathurst, it's like nothing you've ever seen. Yeah, it's definitely a good event. It's just, you know, big crowds there and, and, um, it's been like I guess the Daytona 500. You know, it's a it's a prestige race. The whole calendar revolves around that. And I, I guess we've been very lucky in the last 15 years that we've won it nine times and been runner-up a number of times. And that's you know more the team and the drivers. But it's always that thing if you know if you can, you know, the championships definitely good. But it's like you know the the owner of Triple Eight Roland, yeah, Bathurst is the one you want to win. And if you can win that, that's that makes whether you don't win the championship that year still makes for for a good year's racing. As as the world gets as the world gets smaller and we get more connected and we get to know each other like what's happening right now and I I find it amazing. Uh, when I was working on satellite radio, working at NASCAR radio, I had some listeners call in. They were in the states and they were interested in hearing about NASCAR and they called in and we had a conversation much like this and they they quizzed me a little bit about what I knew about racing in Australia and I you know I didn't really know very much and they were like listen. You just need to know Bathurst 1000 and Peter Brock. <laughs> and if you know those two yes. things, you're good to go. And I was like, all right. And um, now I've, I'm a little more educated than I was back then. But just amazing, the traditions that you guys got going on there. All right, before I get to my final question, I'm going to give you the opportunity, Ken, to throw out on the table uh, anything that you want our audience to know about what you guys do down there. You got to think that we've got engine builders and aspiring engine builders and race fans and racers. I know a lot of people that they don't build engines at all, but they listen to the show for information about stories, for instance, have come up on the show. Interesting things have come up on the show, but you got an opportunity to talk to a lot of people in the States that are in this industry right now. What would you want them to know about what you guys are doing with your racing series and engine building and whole car culture down there in Australia? Well, I think, you know, in Australia, everyone looks up to the U.S. because that's obviously the, I guess, the mothership of motorsport for what we look at. And Australia's adopted most forms of motorsport from the U.S. other than NASCAR. And and um, I think that, you know, here everyone, we buy two-thirds of our parts. There's, there's definitely some clever engineers in, here in New Zealand that design and make a lot of parts in, in here. But I think the um, majority is that, you know, looking up to the suppliers and the people and I know a lot of those companies have been sold now and moved on and all that stuff, but uh, um, you know, you you um, you've got to know what you what you want when you're building something. A lot of people just buy what's on a catalog or oh, so and so's got that. I'll buy that. Where yeah, if you do your due diligence and you you look at something and say why so and so using that, and you still have fit within your your also your budgets. But I think that's important that if you you doesn't matter what you're racing if you if you know what you want you just don't buy something because it's on the internet cheap for sale um you'll end up with a better better product like i always say and poor man pays twice if you if you don't know what you want and and build it you might take an extra year building that engine or 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 street or race car 
but you end up with the right components and then they serve you well for a, a time. But I think also building a good relationship with your suppliers. You know, if you know everybody like Keith and, you know, said Bob Williams at All Pro and Tim Engler, all those guys, you 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 end up with a, um, if you've got a question, I think the hardest part of this day and age is they're on talks by email and that, but if you've got a question, you can ring Greg at Kinsley, you can send Trick to Tim, you can all that. and and you build that bit of relationship that they answer that we we all answer each other's questions and it makes it i know for myself learning to build engines you know you in the early days you ring you ring old you know ron shaver and he oh yeah this try this kenny that you know for me as a, as a young engine builder that's a fantastic help because you know well, someone's actually gave me the, the time of day to answer my questions and then hopefully you can do that to, to other people coming up in the future years of, of you know especially when we go to electric cars and all the other stuff they'll say remember Remember them things with magnetos in them? How, how do you fix those? <laughs> yes. Now, you don't sound like you're uh, adverse to that, though, which I think, you know, a lot of people here are like, ooh, the enemy, terrible. Uh, but it, do it doesn't sound like you are that uh, negative. We just saw Tony Stewart this past weekend race an electric Cobra Jet 1400. The Ford engineers are out there. You know, it's making a whistle, whistle noise as it goes down the track or no noise. Um, and some people here are rejecting that potential future. I certainly get it as people who love the sound of an engine. You sound less uh, resistant. No, and I think, you know, if you fight something that's coming, <laughs> the train's coming, so I think you you resist it, you probably just get angry. And, and I thought we look at our business, you know, I think there'll always be work for the niche market work, the people that used to build, you know, the Fontanas or the Hemis or the small box Chevy. And, you know, I'm sure over the next 10 years, it'll, it'll taper off a little bit as it has done in Europe um, and a little bit here, not much. But um, I think that with the emissions and the car manufacturers pushing hard with EV stuff, I, I don't think you're not going to change it. So, I think if we can keep our, our you know, sprint cars are going very well here and the US with crowds and people and if the boat guys and all those ones can keep their their clubs and their, their racing and, and, their, and their, all the engine builders work within their group, I think that the ones that do their work properly will stay in business and probably get busier because there'll be less people to to send stuff to. My only fear is, is you know, with, with less, if the EV stuff does take off drastically, how many casting foundries are we going to have? How many machine shops over time is OEs go away from it? Is that going to affect motorsport more? Because we've had to, we've lost a lot of people out of the industry. Um, a bit like Australia, you know, once we stopped manufacturing cars, there was no more, a lot of engineers went overseas because we're that work sort of slowed up in Australia. Very interesting. Very interesting. An analogy that was shared with me a, a while ago was with, with horses, that once upon a time, everybody had a horse at their house to do things with a horse. But then when cars came around, uh, horses are still a thing with people who really like horses, whether show horses or jumping horses or thoroughbred horses, or there's still horses are still a thing. It's just not a necessary for each person to have. And that's what I kind of think about high horsepower, fun engines, that those are going to continue to be the passion of people like us uh, as we continue to race and have fun uh, beyond whatever someone uses to get to the grocery store or to go pick up their kids from school. Those of us who use them for what we're using them now, uh, I think will continue. But who knows? Who knows? All right, final question. I think you started to answer it, but let me ask you about the next generation of young people out there who want to be involved with this, who love it, who have a passion. Maybe talk to your younger self out there now. What advice would you give them to be successful? I think you just got to, you've got to believe in what you want to do. Um, you know, if, if whether it's cars, boats, you know, whatever you trade, but if in race engines, if you wanted, you've got to, I think you've got to read the, there's so much these days. And you know, when I was young, you had to read books, you know, you had to read, you had to get national dragster every fortnight to read about drag racing. Well, now it's just all on the internet. So if you study up well, and then there's always, I find jobs at the right places, as you hear so often where they start off sweeping the floor and next minute, you know, 20 years later, they're running the business. It's, if you're passionate about it and you enjoy it, I think that's we've found here with our business. We've had a few apprentices come through our, our business. You know, James McFadden, he's over there running the World Outlaws at the moment. He, he started here as an apprentice engine builder. If they if they and he he believes same as Jamie with his with his billet blocks and that he started off as a drag racer, got into supercars, and now he's got a you know world class facility in building blocks and cylinder heads and and, and engine parts. That that's all from passion. That's you got there. There's you know like any road, there's a tough road along the way, but you've got to not just 
oh, it'll come to me it'll, if you believe in it and you you talk to the right people, um, have the right people around you, like our business here, you know, good employees and my wife and that, you know, she 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 does keeps the business in order and keeps it all together. So if you build that group of people around you, when you go racing and you work with a race team and learn the ins and outs on a Saturday night race car, you learn that what you need to do and then you can turn that into a professional level once you've been out there and helped the guy at the speedway or the drag strip and understood how it all works too many guys want to go straight into a job and they get it's overwhelming for them because it's at the professional level you know if you muck up sometimes you're out quickly so i think you just got to study study your uh demographic i guess of what racing you enjoy and then try and find every about the competitors the other engine builders you know the transmission guys all the bits and pieces that you know and what parts are available for those particular engines and you can learn so much within a two or three month period on all the components and then the, the rest comes with you once you keep, you know, you get into the right jobs, I guess, or the right race teams, and you'll end up somewhere in, in the trade that you you enjoy. Amazing. Keith, this was flat out amazing. Final thoughts from you, Keith. I just I just wanted to again thank Ken for being part of this show and and, and just you know Australia is a you know a nation of a little over I think 25 million people and I've got to tell you when it comes to racing some of those passionate people I've ever seen you know if it's 25 million 20 million of them are into racing uh, I mean we're in you know here in the states and, and again I'm not knocking America we're on primetime TV on a Wednesday night can you turn on and find motorsports uh, on you know on a primetime channel down there it's on everything. Uh, so very passionate people, intelligent, smart, driven. Uh, you know, like I say, what can I say? Uh, you know, just love working with these guys. Amazing. Ken, we thank you for being on Hidden Horsepower. Appreciate you. Uh, the, you guys got a great thing going. Folks, you can check out their website, kreraceengines.com.au, and you'll be able to check out uh, what they got going on. Ken, really appreciate you spending the time, giving us the insight. And I got a million more questions, so one day we'll have to have you back. Appreciate it. No, Joe, thanks. I, I was just, didn't mean to cut you out. I say, yeah, we're going to have to have to do a follow-up one of these. I think we could spend a couple more hours. I agree. No, it's great. Just, it's actually good reminiscing some of the old stuff. And, and um, yeah, you just you get so tied up in, in day-to-day work sometimes that, you know, sometimes it's nice to sit back. And, and I've listened to your podcasts and other ones, and it's good when people just talk you know, about just what happened, not not – preempted oh we, we, better, we better talk about this it's it's these podcasts are fantastic you know listen to the ones we've said you've done with shaver and all the other guys and it's 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 good to see what the people did back in the day and just them talking like you were at the having dinner at, at the pub or something you know well exactly and that was the goal and and when uh uh, you know Matt Hartford and and Lake and Keith. Like when we first started talking about this, there's definitely a desire for this knowledge, and why shouldn't it be shared? Uh, but also the characters, like these guys, these people, yourself, Ken. Like you've seen so much, you've done so much, you've had so many great experiences in this world of auto racing that we all love. Like there's how many times Keith has an accidental story about Warren Johnson popped up out of nowhere on one of these shows, something like that, and it's just it's great stuff. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thanks for having us. It's been 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 fantastic. Thank you. Uh, no, just again, want to thank you, Ken. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, it, it's absolutely fantastic. We enjoy doing these so much. Uh, look forward to you know to trying to do a wraparound with us with Ken as he gets into the new engine platforms, into the LS, you know, uh, you know, and then the Coyotes uh, to see some of the challenges they're going to face with that as, as as we move forward, especially from a piston ring point of view. What can we do to get that you know four thousand, five thousand kilometers they want out of these? You know, out of the new engine platforms and what challenges it'll pose. So look forward to maybe doing a wraparound follow-up uh, uh, when they get working on the new engine platform. Well, all right. I like that the lingo, man, wraparound. He's talking about doing a wraparound, Ken. We're going to come back and talk to you again. I love it. <laughs> That'd be great. There you go. Ken, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Joe. Appreciate that. Bye. Thanks, thanks Keith. Bye-bye. There he goes, Ken McNamara. Keith, that was incredible. KRE Racing Engines, Australia in Queensland. And I'm sorry, but I was so interested in just the like the rules and the way that they run their series and the, the strict compliance that they have to deal with in the V8 supercars uh, as opposed to 410 sprint cars where you can do anything. 
Yeah, a- absolutely. I mean, they've got such a challenge. I mean, you're dealing with a, you know, a, a race series, and I'm not sure. You know, I'll be honest with you, I'm a little deficient on knowing all the engines that are involved. But, you know, at one point in time, as Ken mentioned, you know, Nissan's in there. You know, you've got the Chevrolet base, you've got the Ford base, you had Volvo in there, Mercedes Benz in there. So you're dealing with, you know, overhead valve engines, overhead cam engines, and trying to, you know, come up with a system to keep them on somewhat of a platform. And these guys came up with, you know, to, to make it simple, and it's not simple, you know, a maximum horsepower number. They came up with this combined number of power and torque. All these engines go across the same dynos. They get certified and sealed. And, you know, uh, you know, when you're dealing with that many engine platforms trying to, you know, to, to dictate every part, they came up with that system. Now, obviously, all the parts in the engine have to be approved. But, uh, yeah, they, it's an amazing engine program. Uh, and, and sorry to see that they're changing platforms. But as Ken said, it's necessary. They've got to contain costs and, you know, get the mileage out of them. They have to have to keep the series alive. And I, and I certainly understand that. Well, and what do you think of that, though, as a, as a future, as a potential future? So many people, we, we, with Europe and Australia, like we can fight a lot of things. And I think maybe we should fight against that. But I think about NHRA's factory showdown category. And I think about the battle that happens between the Chevrolet uh, pushrod engine and the Coyote overhead cam engine and how the Coyote pretty much has the capability of unlimited RPM and how they have been fighting with supercharger, pulley restrictions, et cetera, and so on, and how it's been very challenging to keep those two platforms on a level playing field. I wonder if they're going to run into that same scenario or if on this side of the pond, maybe we should think, at least ponder some sort of restriction like that although i don't know if i like it on the surface i i i I see both sides of the conversation joe i really do i i see you know when you're dealing with two radically different engine platforms like that you know obviously the ls is limited you know by rpm because of the valve train that you know the coyote not uh i i definitely see both sides i mean you know at my heart as an engine guy as a race guy i don't want to see restrictions on anything i want to see the biggest best thinkers the best innovators come out ahead and prevail uh, you know, we had mentioned NASCAR, and you know, to me, the glory days of the golden age of NASCAR was uh, basically, I mean, there's always rules, but no holds barred. The guy with the best ideas out there, and instead of restricting that guy, you make the other guy figure it out. Well, there's a different thing. That, you know, we've got, you know, the, the, these budgets are, you know, monumental, uh, you know, millions of dollars being spent. And I definitely see both sides of that conversation where we have to kind of reel in the costs. Maybe we've got to put some limits on things, uh, you know, to keep the racing going. If we let the budgets run just completely unchecked and out of control, uh, there'll be nobody left. There'll be, you know, there'll be two people left, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, you know, the Gateses of the world and, and they'll be racing themselves every week. So I, I definitely see both sides of that conversation. I, I, again, as an engine guy, I love to see the, you know, the unleashed, unbridled horsepower guys out there doing everything they can. But I, I definitely see both sides of the conversation. Well, exactly. And I think of conversations I've had with Jay. Jason Line, who is against all those restrictions and rules and that kind of stuff. And uh, we have seen the the problem is that people are going to spend money that they have that they want to. And so you put a restriction on A, B, C, and D, then they're going to look at E, F, G and find something else to get an advantage. And all of a sudden, those... Uh, Anyway, it's just a it's a great challenge, and it's very oh, oh, interesting it, no, to hear. It, no, I, the, no, I agree with you. I, you know, I mean, I'll, I'll go into a, you know, a, a, not to throw stones. You know, spec engine, you know, circle track racing. Okay, so you're saving money on the engine. They've got you you're restricted there, but you can buy a set of headers for it that cost as much as the engine. You can buy a two thousand dollar carburetor for it. You can put you know ten thousand dollars worth of shocks on the car. So all in the guise of trying to make up for the lack of horsepower. So, man, I, I definitely see both sides of the conversation. I'll go back to, you know, uh, Star Trek, you know, the Kobayashi Maru. You know, Remo- oh, uh, this the guy. Kobayashi Maru. Uh, the, you know, it's the no-win scenario. I'm so happy you dropped a Star Trek reference to the Kobayashi Maru. Wow, that is incredible. And everyone will tell you that Kirk cheated, except he didn't, man. He improvised. He adapted. He overcame. He beat the test. <laughs> Absolutely. What percentage of the audience even knows what we're talking about? I think it's like a strong 15, maybe. Yeah. maybe. I'm hoping. <laughs> you got me, though. I love it. I love that uh, reference. I throw it out all the time. All right, Keith, before we go, uh, tell us what's up at Total Seal. And for people that are interested 
and you know I'm talking all the time about stock eliminator engines and you you are restricted by rules uh, there are there are different things that you guys do and have available you always say before you build your engine before you do anything call us first why is that because I want to know that class now you had mentioned stockers and I'm, I'm, I'm big with the stocker guys I love the classes where you know we've got these rules imposed and we have to find you know every little bit you know we don't want to leave anything on that floor we want it all and, and I, I, I embrace those types of classes whether it be circle track drag race I, I love working with those guys trying to find that last little bit and that's what we are always trying to do here whether it's our gapless ring the gas ported ring you know new coating innovations you know you know different material technologies we've got you know the materion you know uh, you know tough met ring materials that we're working with uh we're always pushing that because we don't want to leave anything and that's why i say call us first not only to make sure that you can get the right part the best part but you know we want to know what it is you're doing you know what what is your end game what class you know whether it's a daily driver you know uh you know an old restoration you know all out race piece let us know what it is because we want to make sure, at least from a piston ring point of view, that we can get you the best possible package for what you're doing. He is Keith Jones, the Director of Technical Sales at Total Seal Piston Rings. Keith, great job as usual. Quick, give them the number. Let them know where to go other than TotalSeal.com if they want to get a hold of you. Yeah, that's the website. You can always email me, Keith J at TotalSeal.com. Uh, info at TotalSeal.com. Uh, we're here for you. The website, the number 800-874-2753 for the toll-free. Uh, if that doesn't work, 623-587-7400 is the main number. Uh, we're here for you, you know, this, 7 to 5, Monday through Friday, Mountain Standard Time. Amazing. And you guys got Hidden Horsepower T-shirts also. People can get them, uh, I believe, on your website. So all you fans of Hidden Horsepower, if you really like the show, you really want to show the world that you are a hardcore race fan, you are going to rock yourself a Hidden Horsepower T-shirt, all that. Check it out on the website. Keith, thank you so much. Great job. Thank you, as always, my friend. It was great. It was great again. He's Keith Jones. I'm Joe Costello. You can hear me on my own podcast called WFO Radio. We're out there on all the social media, and you can find us when you search for Hidden Horsepower, presented by Total Seal Piston Rings on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts, including the TotalSeal.com website. That's going to do it. We'll see you next time right here on Hidden Horsepower, presented by Total Seal Piston Rings.